Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hurry and Yell podcast number 11. Today, we're going to have a little bit of an abridged version of our podcast because it is not a very good week of college football, especially after the last two weeks. Uh, We're going to get a little bit more into the NFL, uh, do some college basketball. Uh, It's my turn to rant, and so I'm going to do it on the WSU men's basketball team, which is an absolute travesty, but I will get to that later. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of fun here. Today, uh, we've got a case of the missing beer, which means we're once again drinking Irish Death from Ellensburg, Washington. Classic. Which Classic is, beer, uh, I'm guessing, windy and cold right now. Probably. It probably has a little bit of snow. Don't. A trace. A trace, probably. I don't want to be there. The wind whipping about. That just sounds awful. The only reason people are there this time of year is if they're trapped. Or if, the they go to, is closed. or if they go to Central. Central Washington. That would be the only other reason. No one goes to Central. I've got like two friends that went to Central. <clears throat> I actually have a cousin that's there right now. Playing baseball. So yeah, a uh, very sparse week of college football this week, especially since the last two weeks have had seven ranked, first ranked matchups. This week has one and honestly, one of the teams probably shouldn't be ranked in the first place. Who's that? Is it Michigan ranked, or are they not ranked? Michigan's ranked. So then it's Wisconsin-Michigan. Do you think Michigan should be ranked? Absolutely. They absolutely should be ranked. They're a two-loss team. God, it feels like it's more. Is it really only they're two losses? Penn State and Michigan State. Am I right? All right. I think they're 8-2. and two. Well, They just got knocked down because they got blown out by Penn State. Um, this is this is always going to be down here for Michigan, but they'll be fine if their fans get a little bit more patient. They're complaining too much about two losses. How soon they forget? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think like Wisconsin's a pretty good team. I've watched them a little bit more the last couple weeks, and they're good. They're not great. Um, they'll probably win this game, seventeen to ten. That sounds about right. Uh, at the same time, I could see Michigan just squeezing the life out of them, like twenty to three. Someone has to for that uh, team. The I mean, who knows? The Big Ten is kind of a a bunch of good teams and no great teams. That's true. It's a lot like the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve and the Pac twelve. So. As of this rec- the time of this recording, we're recording this on a Tuesday, and the college football playoff rankings are coming out as we speak. And I'm looking at 15 through 11 right now, and number 15, you've got the undefeated, undefeated Central Florida. And then 14, Washington State. Move up from 19 to 14. I think that's more of a fact that teams around them lost than... Uh, than them getting a solid win. But you know what? A win is a win, especially on I the road. I think they're ranked. To, they should be ranked ahead of you, Doug, now, too. Well, I would say they are because Oklahoma State is 13. TCU is 12. USC is 11. 10 is Penn State. 9 is Ohio State. 8 is Notre Dame. 7 is Georgia. So UW's not in the top, top six, obviously. Probably, yeah. So. Yeah, you don't. Uh, you, you, so apparently the secret to beating UW is play them on the road and on grass. Yep. Um, yeah, on grass. That was 
I was listening to the uh, local recruiting show for the University of Washington on Saturday morning, and they were complaining that Stanford did something to the grass to neutralize the UW speed. Uh, a couple things about that. UW doesn't have speed this year. Otherwise, they'd have a little bit more big plays than they do. Um, and no, they didn't. Uh, they just don't. UW just doesn't know how to play on grass. They don't. Unfortunately, the Apple Cup is not played on grass. Yes. We uh, we were pretty much wrong on every single every game this week. Every single thing. So, a couple weeks ago, I said Auburn would beat Georgia. And then when it came to making a pick, I picked Georgia. My uh, fandom and my skepticism of Auburn won out there. Uh, uh, Auburn made Georgia play left-handed. And they got adversity. It was the first time they'd been challenged in months. And they didn't handle it well. And winning at Jordan-Hare is not easy. No, it is not. No, it is definitely not. Auburn looked like a competent football team. They're coming on late, coming on strong, just like they did a few years ago when they uh, made it to the national championship game. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I'm saying they're peaking at the right time. And they're going to, so Auburn's going to be in the top six. Uh, I mean, the top six are going to be some variation of Alabama, Miami. Miami, Clemson, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Auburn. That's going to be your top six. Well, that was one thing I did get right, was that Oklahoma would not have a hard time with TCU. Yeah, I unfortunately decided to ride my uh, ride my underrated pick, and uh, it cost me. Sometimes it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmys and Joes. And Oklahoma... Please tell me you just came up with I that. I got that from uh, Jim Walden, I think. Or Lou Holtz. Some I, old Jim Walden was, was uh, I, the time I heard him use it was he was trying to defend why Paul Wolf was winning one game, and it had nothing to do with coaching or recruiting. It was all because they didn't have any athletes. Which but that's not recruiting. We turn, <laughs> yeah, which was the previous staff's fault, despite they, the fact that they put tons of guys in the NFL. Um, they did. Anyway, uh, that that was the game. Like the coaching, Gary Patterson, you know he had him ready. You know he had a good scheme. But Oklahoma, when they're red hot, when they're red hot, when they're ready to go and they're locked in, have at home have always been a tough team to beat. So here is your top six in order. Number six is Auburn. Two loss Auburn. Five undefeated Wisconsin. Four is Oklahoma, three is Miami, two is Clemson, one is Alabama. One loss Clemson is ahead of undefeated Miami. Good thing is, is those two teams will get to battle it, get to battle it out in the ACC championship game. Where is that game played? The ACC championship game? Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. I th- I'm going to guess it's in the new Orange Bowl. So probably in Miami, but so it's going to be a home home game. game. Yeah, uh, it's in Charlotte. It's at so it's the a Clemson home game. It's at the uh, Carolina Panthers. Oh god, they're playing on grass. Wait, yeah. they play on grass down there because they play real football. 
everyone plays on grass down there pretty much, don't they? Well, they, they, they don't have to deal with any of it, you know. It's tough having grass in the Northwest. It's just tough. I That's mean, true. Husky Stadium probably hasn't had grass since the 1960s, and Martin Stadium was probably Rogers Field the last time they had grass. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah, it's going to be a slow week for college football, but usually this is the weeks where uh, team something happens. But it's cupcake week in the SEC. Yes. Some of the games between SEC, for teams in the SEC, you've got Alabama against Mercer. You've got Auburn against Louisiana Monroe. You've got, well, I know they're not a uh, – ACC team, but or SEC team, but you've got Clemson versus the Citadel. Clemson thinks they're in the SEC. You've got Oklahoma versus Kansas, which might as well be a cupcake week game for them. Um, regarding cu- the cupcakes, LSU so, Tennessee cupcake. There's been a lot of conversation on this side of the country, on the West Coast, about Pac-12 scheduling. <laughs> Um, and their TV deal. So there's been a lot of uh, complaints about start times for games. Um, 10.30 Eastern starts, 11.30 Eastern starts. They uh, This TV deal is supposed to increase visibility, yet you still have uh, Christian McCaffrey not win the Heisman, even though he's clearly the best player. And then Love, the Stanford running back, when he was really rocking and rolling, uh, CBS Sports Network could not get highlights on him to show the rest of the country because the Pac-12 did not have an agreement in place with the CBS Sports Network to share highlights, which is just a fundamental thing. Furthermore, your three best teams in the conference of the Pac-12 are Washington State, USC, and Washington. That's not really even disputable. All those teams have played games on the road on Friday night. All of those teams have lost on Friday night. And that's not something you see the Big Ten doing or the SEC doing or even the Big 12 anymore. They used to. They used to have weeknight games and they'd always have upsets. And you just don't see these other conferences put their teams, their teams that should be competing for playoff spots, on in these precarious situations. I can think of one. Clemson and Syracuse. Exactly. Exactly. Clemson and Syracuse. Why the hell was that scheduled on a Friday? A short week traveling up to Syracuse, which I guarantee you that's not a nonstop flight from wherever you're going. (laughs) Upstate New York, you're inside this weird dome that is just old school. It sounds funny. Nobody plays in domes, like a dome like that anymore. Yeah. And short week, guess what? You lose. USC goes to Washington State. They probably would have lost that game anyway. But they lost. WSU to Cal. WSU to Cal. Another thing. They come in. They're not focused. Short week. They're still on the high from beating USC. They get smoked. UW goes to Stanford. They seem slow. They seem sluggish. Um, This isn't to excuse those losses or say they didn't deserve to lose. This is... A conference that pays no mind into putting uh, teams in advantageous situations because all they care about is money. And the TV deal 
has yielded about 40% of the money that they promised everyone who agreed to it. And it's a real problem. I I don't necessarily have a problem with the late Saturday games. Some, I, don't, I don't either. Someone's got to fill that spot. I mean, you know, it's Saturday night. There's, they, they get the whole Pac-12 after dark thing. Yeah. It's kind of caught on. But the Friday games make no sense whatsoever. The ACC used to do it with, uh, or the Big East used to do it. Well, uh, I just remember Florida State would always have one crazy loss every first, year, yeah. and it was always on a weekday. Uh, and Virginia Tech, they would always drop one. Um, I, I remember the year, I think it was 2006, Rutgers and Louisville. And, and West South Virginia, Florida. South Florida. All There was like a round robin of those teams kicking the other's ass. Yep. And at least two of them were short week Thursday night games. Yep. And this idea that it gives you more attention, the Big East folded. It doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't that strategy that you're gonna get better ratings and more money by playing on Thursday and Friday night, it doesn't work. It it doesn't really work. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. I, I completely agree. Like the, the East Coast, the South, the deep south, what are they doing on Friday nights? They're at their local high school watching football. High school it's Friday nights. College is Saturday. Pro is Sunday and Monday. And Thursday, apparently. But we had our we had a rant about that, yeah, last, about week. that last week. So um, yeah, I, I I don't get it either, especially since you knew going in that UW, WSU, USC were three of the top four teams maybe so with Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, yeah, Stanford. And then you know, put them in a position to succeed, but they didn't want to do it. They didn't care. Well, they outsource their scheduling. The conference doesn't sit down and have people sit down at a table and go, let's come up with the best arrangement. They send it to some uh, firm and they just throw in all these permutations into a computer and spit out a schedule. And I don't know if other conferences do it. I don't think they do it that way. I think that they probably should have a committee make the schedule like the NFL does, where the NFL goes, you're playing in London on a Saturday, so let's put that before a bye week. Or, you know, make sure you have a long term. You play on Thursday, then you need, like, let's let's try and arrange it. The NFL has their own sense with scheduling and all the overexposure crap. But they work to try and put together a schedule that doesn't drag the ass of the teams, especially the best ones. It's true. the dirt. Put Cal and fucking Arizona State. Arizona State or Oregon State out there. You know, teams that need that attention, that really need it. Yeah. USC. USC doesn't need not, it. UW doesn't need it. Wazoo doesn't even really need it anymore. Stanford doesn't need it. Stanford I mean, no, because it's not going to change. Yeah, Stanford doesn't have any fans anyway. It's not going to. Stanford is not going to change. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do next year, and hopefully the Friday night games are gone. I mean, I remember the last couple years, the board WSU has been playing on Fridays, where uh, they lost to Nevada on a Friday a few years ago. They lost to 
I think the Boise State game a couple uh, last year was on a Friday, I think. But either way, it, the Friday games just are not beneficial to the teams. And I, I, I don't get why they do it. I mean, I get why they do it. It's all money-driven. But I don't think it... It's not yielding the money they said it would. And so it, it kind of exacerbates the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, jumping ahead here. Oh, I got one more rant then. I want... WSU basketball. So, Sabermetrics has revolutionized baseball. Actually, I think it's, to an extent, improved the sport. It has irked traditionalists, but uh, smaller teams are able to get into the playoffs and be more successful with the use of metrics and being more creative and being kind of -of out-of-the-box thinkers. Unfortunately, an inherently more complicated game, football, is being poisoned by metrics. And one of the little uh, things that metrics people like is the idea that teams should just pass the ball because it's more efficient. Um, Other than the just simple facts of name a team without at least a decent threat of the run that's won a Super Bowl, can't. Uh, you look at the Patriots and they ran the ball. They used multiple tight end sets. They'd run the ball out of multiple formations. It wasn't the cornerstone of their offense. It was the cornerstone of their offense when they won three titles. Then they got away from it, didn't run the ball, and went a decade without winning a Super Bowl. The Packers ran the ball in 2010 became pass first 2011. They went 15-1, and one, but the weather gets bad. You need to run the football. They lost in the playoffs. The Seahawks, of course, Marshawn Lynch, run the football. The Colts won the Super Bowl against the Bears by running the ball. That's all. Peyton Manning was awful. The Saints, Pierre Thomas, just an average running game. Furthermore, Football is a game of strategy. It's a chess match. So you need uh, the running play, which I've talked about this before, sets up, if you wanted to, unless you're Steve Sarkeesian, sets up a variety of other plays. So let's say you have two tight ends lined up on the right side. You run to the right. You got a, a little inside zone play. That's your base play. Out of that, you can run... I'd say a half dozen play action passes out of that formation. You can have seams. You can have uh, dagger routes. You can have crossing routes. You can have corner routes. You can have bootlegs. And it all looks the same to the defense pre-snap and after the snap of the ball. It all looks exactly the same. In the NFL, when there's a half-second difference between uh, that's all you need. You need a half a second of hesitation on defense to get a wide open play. It makes all the difference. Um, we're kind of crunched for time here. Otherwise, we could spend an entire podcast talking about the merits of running the football. Which I'm sure we will do at some point. But I want to get to Wazoo Basketball, who I believe is 1-0. But they were down by, I think, 23 points at home to okay. Okay. Texas State. Here we go. So they're playing Texas Southern. Texas Southern is going through a Eastern Washington swing. 
two days before they played Washington State, they played Gonzaga. I'm not putting Washington State in the same breath as Gonzaga, obviously. But Gonzaga was down 15-10, to 10, went on like a 14 nothing run, never looked back, ended up winning 97-69. to 69. They ended up basically winning by 30, which is what teams should do early in the season. WSU, same team, two days later, was losing 31 to 9. They were losing again 31 to 9 to Texas Southern. Now, Texas Southern made the NCAA tournament last year. They're not a terrible team. But you call yourself a Power Five conference team and you're losing by 22 points to a team from the SWAC. That's right, the SWAC by 22 points. Um, what is what year are we under uh, Ernie Kent? I think this is year number four. Okay, so you're four years in, right? Are we yes. four years in? I think so. I think, I think this is year four. In. It's either year four or year three, but I think this is year four. Oh, and by the way, that game against Texas Southern and WSU went into overtime. So. You're Ernie Kent. This is year four. This isn't college football where you need four years and four recruiting classes to roll over a roster. You should probably be better. They were better last year than they were the year before. The year before, though, they were nine and twenty-two and one and seventeen in the conference. They went six and twelve in the conference last year, and I went away from the season going, "Ah, oh, that wasn't that bad." That's where we're at these days. So my question is to you, Brian, why? Well, man, I don't even know where to begin. The the guys that he recruits for when he was at Oregon don't want to go to Pullman. So the guys that he is trying to get – don't want to go there. He's looking for, he does have a, a, a 6 one, 160 pound freshman, which he's looking for, but that kid's from Olympia. He probably was a two-star guy and was probably a late addition. Um, he's, he has one guy on the team taller than six eleven. He's got one guy on the, he's got no one on the team taller than, or that weighs more than two forty. In the Pac-12. And it's because he wants to run. Well, he can't recruit the guys at WSU that he wants to run his system because they don't want to go there. And the guys that they're getting that he tries to fit a system are not talented. A counter-argument that the guys don't want to come there. Um, Mike Leach is getting guys to come to Pullman. Uh that are very good athletes and are from the urban areas that the idea of living in rural Eastern Washington doesn't sound like Olympia. Olympia is not exactly an urban metropolis. Um, I think it's gotta be his messaging or his identification of talent. It well, it's definitely the identification of talent, but the thing with Mike Leach, I want you to go look at the guys that are coming from the urban areas and how many of them are wide receivers. 
or other skill position players. Yeah, that's what. Yes, they know they're going to get the ball, so they don't mind going to. Well, then, then so, but Ernie Kent says this: is how he recruited Oregon was, hey, well, they're going to have these great facilities. I mean, he started when they were playing the pit, which was a pit, but you're going to play run and gun basketball. Right? Isn't that shouldn't that isn't that the message that you're supposed to say you're going to shoot the ball? I'm not going to get, bench your ass if you miss a three pointer. And that's what he that, tried. That's what he has tried to do at WSU, but he can't get the guys to do it. He can't. I, I just think he's in effect, He must be an ineffective recruiter. We I know, think so. We know that he is not a great in game coach. We knew that coming in. Uh, I knew that. When did I meet you? 2005. Yeah. So 2005 going to games and watching college basketball and you treating his coaching strategy with complete disdain. That, that 2005 team with Aaron Brooks and Bryce Taylor. And I don't even remember who else was on that team. The guy who looked like sideshow Bob Jordan Kent, Jordan, his son. Yes. Um, that team was talented. He but he couldn't get out. I don't think he made it past the first round of the tournament. 2005, he didn't make the tournament. In 2006, 2007, he made the lead eight, though. And then he first round the next year, and then he was. Yeah. He is not. So another thing that's a killed him. season in his last five, six years of coaching. Another thing that has killed him is his first recruiting class. The guys that would be seniors now. I think there were six of them. They all left after their sophomore year. There are two seniors in this class right now. One of them is a walk-on, a 6'1", 180 walk-on, and another one is a transfer. So who – so so what's what's the reason for that? Do they not like the coach? Do they not like the location? Or do they not like getting their ass kicked every week? I think it's a combination of all three of those. Plus, he probably made some promises that he didn't deliver on because a lot of them – since a lot of them were coming in new to the system and there wasn't a, the cupboard was pretty bare from Ken bone. He probably promised a lot of kids playing time too many. probably. Yeah, exactly. And then they get there and he realized based on his lack of figuring out talent that they weren't back. They weren't good enough to play in the pac 12. So he sat on the bench. So they are all gone. You lose Connor Clifford, Josh Hawkinson, and Ike Rebu, who, for all of their faults, were Pac-12 quality players. I'm not saying they would have been starters on other teams, but they could have been on other teams in the Pac-12. This team now, I would say Malachi Flynn, Malachi, Malachi Flynn Robert Franks, hmm. maybe maybe Vontae Daniels, depending on if he can find a shot. But for the most part, that's it. I mean, and if, I'm looking right now at the roster, and there are one, two, three, four, five guys from the state of Washington. Now, when you think the state of Washington in basketball, you think the city of Seattle, right? So you think, okay, the greater Seattle area. Greater yeah. Seattle area. It's where you want those. So they yeah. probably got guys from, no, no. They got a kid from Olympia. They got a kid from Vancouver. Federal Way. 
the walk-on from C- oh, the walk-on senior is from Seattle, and then another one from Tacoma and Malachi Flynn. Well, Tacoma's they play basketball down there. Yeah, and they do in federal way, but everyone else sucks. I mean, so it it takes a unique style and I think angle and a unique coach to win um, in football and basketball at Wazoo. I Mike Leach's success has kind of changed my opinion on the type of. Um, athlete that you think that you're conditioned to think will come to Pullman because his freshman class and sophomore class, they're just insane. So good. (laughs) Um, And so I look at basketball and I go, well, Tony Bennett won with try hard guys and upperclassmen that have been in the system for four years. And those guys took their lumps the first two years. They took their lumps and they won as juniors and seniors. And then he was competitive when some of those guys graduated. Kelvin Sampson won with... By cheating. By cheating. Let's be honest. I mean, and I loved going to those games as a kid. I absolutely loved going to those, going down to Pullman, watching WSU upset Cal with Jason Kidd and Tony Gonzalez. I was sitting courtside. I will never forget that game. I actually walked onto the court before the game and challenged Kelvin Sampson's son to a game of one-on-one and beat him. And I was the little one. So all of the students that were already there were just cheering for me and everything. Oh, one of my favorite memories from my that childhood. like a classic Brian moment. Full of bravado, even young, sauntering out onto the court, challenging the coach's son to a game. Did you win? I did. I did. And afterwards, we walked right by uh, – Kelvin Sampson's office and he was there and I just poked my head and said, hey coach, I beat your son one-on-one and he came out and shook my hand. He was actually a super nice guy. His problem has never been him being a nice guy. Or being a bad coach. He just tends to text too much. He's he's a little bit over eager with his connection to players. Anyway, so what was the guy uh, Ravling, right? He's the only other guy that's won in Pullman. George Ravling, right? Yep. Um, He left for USC. I don't know how he won. It was so long ago, it doesn't matter. But you know what? That that was when my parents were there at WSU. And they were second in the Pac-8 every year. But no one cared because it was UCLA and everyone else. Yeah, but they were competitive. We're not even competitive anymore. True. So is the next move, because we're getting a new athletic director, which means the five-year rollovers are done if you don't earn it. And so what kind of coach are you looking for? I want someone young. Who I don't even care. Honestly, you know, he might be on the staff right now. It might be the Garfield coach, the Garfield coach who's now an assistant. They want someone. That's why they. I think that's why. Well, he brought in. He brought in Ernie. Ernie Kip brought him in because he wanted a Seattle connection and he wanted someone who could recruit the Seattle area because he obviously couldn't do it. But I don't know if they're going to go with some young assistant. Just who's got a couple years' experience to run a program like that. I don't think so either. Um, Ed Haskins is his name, by the way. Uh, His his brother. He's not young. Ed Haskins is young, is he? I mean, he's in his. I would say mid forties. That's like sixty. I don't think so, but um, that's who that's who you got to get though. uh, if, If Haskins is. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, if, if Ed Haskins is a little bit younger, but either way, you got to get someone like that. You know, someone who may be a little green to the area, the college college basketball area, but still someone who, uh, who, who knows what they're doing, knows the Seattle pipeline, because honestly, if WSU is going to turn it around, it's going to be the, the, the Seattle pipeline. That's what they're going to have to do. Well, oh, one last thing of note. I am a closet Wazoo women's soccer fan. And they made the NCAA tournament for the second time in three years, and the third time in four years. And as a 15 seed, won their first tournament game. I, I, so actually, we spent a lot of time bitching on here, but well done. Now what? they play Tennessee. I think they've got the... They've got one of the better goalkeepers who it's basically ever it's score of every game seems like it's one nothing because she forces like ten shutouts this year, I think. And literally ten shutouts. Yes, congratulations, ladies. By the way, <laughs> did you see the goal? It was an own goal scored by uh, Central yeah. Florida. The Wazoo offensive success does, in football does not translate to the European style of football. Nope. And so But I, I'm I'm it's, it's good to see. I uh, was telling everyone that since the United States didn't make the World Cup, I was going to have to go to my safety team, my fallback team, which was Italy. Well, yesterday, <laughs> Italy got bounced from the World Cup for the first time in 50 years. So now my safety team is also not going to make the tournament. So now I'm really not going to watch next year. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it either. I'll probably watch Germany or if Ireland's in it. Maybe Brazil. Yeah, we know how Brazil plays. A bunch of fancy men prancing around. See, that's usually Italy, too. <laughs> well, we are going to cut this one a little bit short because we just run out of crap to. I have one about. more thing I want to talk about really, really quick. The Le- Legends Classic is going on today. We've got Duke and Michigan State. You've got Kentucky, Kansas. Four of the premier programs in all of college basketball. Uh, the Duke-Michigan State games already happened. Duke won by eight. Grayson Allen had about 40 points. He had seven threes. He didn't trip anyone, so he's finally learning. Uh, Kentucky-Kansas is tipping off here very shortly, and I love the fact... Actually, Kentucky-Kansas has already tipped off. They're about four minutes in. And I just love the fact that they're doing this, and they've been doing this for the last few years, where... They just come out of the gate playing. And I know college football does this too, or they tried to this year with Alabama, Florida State, and Florida State didn't hold up their end of the bargain. But they were they tried. But I just love that the Blue Bloods are getting together early in their plan every year. Duke and Michigan State, Kentucky and Kansas, they rotate playing each other. So you know there's going to be two gig games right off the bat. Also, one more thing, Gonzaga's up by 27 at halftime. This team... Nowhere close to last year, but they're still going to be a tournament team, and they're still going to make some noise. One more thing with the with your championship classic thing. Uh, the reason that college basketball teams are willing to risk a loss in non-conference is because they can, because of an extended playoff system. So I've been a fierce advocate for many years against the playoff system. I think maybe a bump up to eight teams would cause more exciting non-conference games because there's less to risk. Exactly. And it's super easy to do it, too. You have the five 
champions. You have one from a, a group of five team, and you have two wild cards. It's not that tough. You could easily do that, and everyone would be happy, and the NCAA would be more happy because even more money would be made for them. So, and eight teams is coming soon. My guess by 2020, there will be an eight-team playoff. That is my three-year hot take. And on that note, we are going to cut it short. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. 